Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Double FM Sports. My name is J.R. Mizrak, and today I am joined by Stamatia. Uh, thank you for taking some time out of your day, and how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Excited, excited to answer some questions. Of course, of course. Now, you are a phenomenal track and field athlete specializing in the throwing group, but before we get into, you know, what you've been doing recently, when did you first start getting into, you know, track and field, specifically that area of throwing? Um, it was a long, long time ago. I have two older brothers and they both did track and field. And as a younger sibling does, I have to follow exactly what they do. So that led me to track and field when I was like in kindergarten, first grade. And slowly you try and kind of all these different event groups out. And I originally hated throwing, um, didn't want to have, to have anything to do with it. But um, I started doing the multi-event, uh, which is like the pentathlon, heptathlon, that kind of stuff. And I kind of eased my way into throwing that way. And in high school, I got a real, a real coach. Um, and he kind of led me more in the direction of shot put and discus. And that's really where I saw my first big time success. Um, it took me to college. And then that's where I then got down the avenue of the hammer throw more specifically. Now, what was it that got you down that avenue of you know, hammer throw. I know I, you know, I did track and field in Pennsylvania. We don't even have the hammer throw for high school. So how did you get into that, you know, specialized event there? Um, so in, yeah, a lot of high schools don't, aren't able to do like javelin or hammer throw. It's not available to them. Um, but when I, I learned a little bit about it in high school, just because I had my own personal coach and he kind of wanted me to be a little bit more well-rounded going into college. But in college, they have, you know, everything in collegiate athletics. So just through kind of trial and error, learning a new event, um, I've kind of picked it up as a third event in college. And then it quickly became like my, my top, my top one. And then after college is where I decided to specialize in only that professionally um, and kind of drop the shot and discus. Now, what is that feeling like? You know, there's a lot of, there's that spinning with the momentum of the actual, you know, what is that feeling like? How do you, how does that physically feel on your body to be going through with all that momentum? It's, it's hard to explain. I, I would have to say like, I can't even put it into words because I don't even think about it at this point. Um, it, I will say it goes for every throw and honestly, probably any technical event, the feeling of when you nail something technically efficient, it's like the best feeling to ever have. I will say hammer though is probably, I think it's the most technically challenging thing um, because you're working with degrees, angles, force of, of the ball. At what point in the throw are you pushing harder versus you know, the perfect balance of being as strong as you can with as fluid and passive with your body as you can, like things like this. It's, it's a really technically challenging event in moving from shot put, which is a very much more like brute force, like you can kind of strong, strong man your way through it. Transitioning from that to hammer where you have to find this like fluidity and perfect balance of strength and technique. Um, it was really challenging. It still, still is. I would say I'm still relatively young in my, in my hammer throwing age um, and, and have tons to learn still. 
Now, timing-wise, is that more of like a, are you thinking about that as you're throwing or is that more of a muscle memory kind of thing? Kind of like a muscle memory. Are you like, are you talking about like when to let go? Because that's yeah. a big question that I get. Like, how do we know when to let go? It starts just from like the ground up. Like when you first learn, all you're going to learn is like how to do the winds. So like what you do over the head, we call it like a wind and release. So if you're familiar with the throw, we start with like the winds over my head before I do anything with my feet. Kind of how you would start to learn the basics is just doing those winds and then learning how to release it into like the, the sector. Um, and you gradually build up, you know, you get the hang of that and then you go to like one turn and then you get the hang of that and then you build up to two turns and so on and so on. So the final result, you see this whole thing. It's kind of hard to grasp. Like a lot of people think we're running around in a circle or a lot of people think we're just like spinning on our toes, but, but there's real footwork there. Um, and it's just gradually built up. And so it looks like you're spinning around in circles, but the movement is actually quite linear if you break it down. Like I'm just moving in a straight line kind of essentially. And so you really feel where you are moving and it'll, the like throw will take itself out, if that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the training to get the actual technique down, but what does a normal day of training look like for you? Are you doing a bunch of reps or are you in the gym kind of working strength training? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So for a thrower, just generally, I say um, we're as much like the amount of time that we spend at the track, we spend in the gym as well equally. So that's why we, we're big time lifters. We really respect Olympic lifting. We, I, I would say more often than not, a lot of throwers love Olympic lifts, would be really good at, you know, are relatively good at them. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time I'm, if I'm at the track, I'll probably take now upwards of only like 20 throws because we're really toning into like the big time meets. But in the off season, you know, 40, some, a big amount of those. And then you try and break that up into different grouping for what you want. Like I'll throw heavier than a, a competition weight. I'll go lighter than a competition weight. You can change the lengths of what you're throwing to get different specific strengths for the throw. And then, yeah, I basically throw three days a week and then I lift three days a week as well equally. Um, so a lot of Olympic lifting snatches, cleans, um, all that, all that kind of stuff to really train explosive, powerful movements. Yeah. Now going back to your college career, started out at UCLA, ended up at Tennessee. Can you talk me through that? What went into going to UCLA and then going to Tennessee and what was yeah. that experience like for you? Yeah, I, um, out of high school, I, my brother went to UCLA. Um, he was a shot putter there. He's still a shot putter, um, training now. Um, and he's actually going to be joining me at Worlds. So that's pretty cool. Um, but he was there and I, I just was, I was drawn to UCLA. It has such a historic uh, track and field and, and throws specifically legacy that going on my visit there, it's on obviously an amazing um, academic school. And I just, you know, it was where I was drawn to, to start my career. Um, and about two years in, I did my red shirt year there. And then I had my first uh, collegiate season there. And it, I, I just didn't feel like I could achieve what I wanted to there. I didn't think that it would, 
it was the right environment where I could achieve my specific goals in college and then, you know, post-collegiately. I knew this is something that I wanted to do, to be a professional in, to go to the Olympics, to get the most out of what I could. And I didn't think for me that it was going to be at UCLA. Um, and so I, I decided late in the game, it was uh, the summer of my year. We didn't have the transfer, transfer portal that, back then. You had to go in and say like, I wanna leave for these reasons. It was like a whole, you have to basically cut all ties with your university before you uh, can even explore the option of anywhere else. So it's a really scary kind of process. Um, and that's how I ended up uh, deciding on, on Tennessee. It was late in the game and on my visit to Tennessee, actually, like I signed up for classes cause school had already started. It was, um, it was a crazy experience that I had no idea what to expect in Knoxville, Tennessee. But upon, upon arriving, I've, uh, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I've remained there after I graduated, I graduated 2019 and, um, you know, Tennessee is an amazing place to, to, uh, amazing place for traditions, you know, the, the phrase ball for life, they really hold that true. And they allowed me to remain, um, to have some work and to use the facilities to continue training there post collegiately. Um, so yeah, I've had an, had an amazing experience transferring and, and continuing finishing my career at Tennessee. Something I'm sure a lot of athletes, you know, dream about doing is representing their country. You know, you've got the chance to represent uh, Greece and what what is that like to say you know hey I'm representing my country I get to wear you know the colors and the symbols on my jerseys and everything what is that feeling like uh, it's it's incredible I have a little bit different of an experience than most most people I'm I'm actually Greek American I was born in the in the U.S. but I explain it like my big fat Greek wedding if you've seen that movie basically everyone is <laughs> everyone is married Greek, everyone is Greek. Um, and so I grew up in a very like Greek traditional household. Um, and when I was about 16 or 17, um, we actually were reached out to by Greek coaches um, to compete for Greece and be on the Greek national team. And it wasn't something that had ever crossed my mind or thought would be possible. I, I didn't know that that would be uh, a thing for me but we had coaches come visit us, um, come to the US to visit us, to meet us, to you know, kind of make this happen. It was almost like a, um, like a recruiting visit in its own, but just to, to touch base, they saw um, our family, we met, we were able to get everything through and it's been about seven years on the Greek national team and it's been an absolutely incredible. It's put me more in touch with like my ancestors. I get to go back every year to Greece to, to train and to really live in the culture. And I think it's a it's a much more special connection that I have even to my own heritage that I that I can, you know, think of. But I'm able to, yeah, put on on a the blue and white uniform. And it, it definitely holds a little different meaning every time you do. Um, there's a little bit more of like a pride and in a in a in a purpose to what you're doing. Um, and so anytime you get a chance to do it and with teammates that now I've been around for, for all these years, um, it's a really special experience. Now, you know, another dream that I'm sure, especially a lot of track and field athletes have is it's probably the highest, you know, competition to be a part of. You got selected and uh, earned a spot on the 2020 Olympic team. 
Yeah. What is that like to say, you know, hey, I'm part of an Olympic team, especially with, like I said, it being probably one of the highest stages that you can be on as a track and field athlete. Yeah, it's definitely like the pinnacle. It's the one thing that every track athlete pushes for. Um, so it, it was a crazy experience after it being postponed and then putting off a year, um, kind of everything up in the air. And then for it to happen, um, it, it was it was a surreal experience being able to finally go and just check that box off for me um, because that's, you know, every kid when you're asked what they want to be when they grow up, I didn't have a, you know, I want to be a doctor or a nurse. I just knew I wanted to be an Olympian somehow, some way in, in, in what I could be. And so this was like, it was the coolest moment for like, you know, that's the one goal I had when I was a kid just to be an Olympian or a professional athlete. And so it was the one thing I could like check off the box. Um, and that was a really cool, cool experience. It does leave you though at the end of it being like, is this all I have or what now? Like you're kind of left with that moment after you're competing. And I thought to myself, I, I have way more in me um, that I think I can give and why stop. And so that's why I've continued on pushing for the next Olympics as well, for better results, for, for, you know, you're always just chasing that, that, that perfect feeling of a competition and a, in a, you know, perfect result. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it was a, it was a surreal experience in Tokyo. It's definitely very unique because we were the COVID, the COVID Olympics. Um, we were, you know, in a bubble tested every day, not allowed to, you know, go outside. Um, so in a way it's, it's, it was a very unique experience. Um, but I'd love to also be at the next one in Paris. So my family can see me and I can see them and, and experience a moment in a stadium where it's, you know, full because as a track athlete, not, not all of our competitions are filled and, <laughs> and, um, you know, the Olympics is the one place where it's, it's a prime sporting event. And so I think that that would be the most surreal experience. Um, so that's also what keeps me going for the next one. Now you talk about that, you know, you keep wanting to get to the next Olympics. That's a big goal of yours. But what other future goals do you have for yourself? What do you expect, you know, for the next few years of your track career? Yeah. So I'm currently in Seattle, Washington for a training camp leading up to the Eugene World Championships. Um, so I actually do compete on Friday. So I'm just looking forward to putting out a best effort result. Um, you know, my prelims will be this Friday and I just want to go out um, and execute to what I can do. And if I'm able to do, if I'm able to throw well and, you know, execute what I think I can, I'll put myself in a great position to potentially make my first final. Um, and then beyond that, I also have the European Championships this year afterwards in Munich, Germany. Um, but everything is kind of like a cluster towards the next Olympics. So this year we have world championships. Next year we have another world championships in Budapest, uh, Hungary. And that's just kind of the big buildup for then the, the 2024 games. And I kind of look at it this way. It's important to have both short-term and long-term kind of goals. Um, I want to see through three years. I don't want to necessarily plan anything beyond that. That's kind of how I took the Tokyo Olympics, you know, push through the Tokyo Olympics and then you decide things from there. Like that is the kind of epitome. So I'm going to push through 2024 
and reevaluate where I stand afterwards. If it leads me away from track and field, or if it pushes me for 2028, 20, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's a long ways away. But if it pushes me there, then I'll reevaluate re then. But kind of now it's, it's just the lead up of these next three years, big championships towards the next Olympics. And then I want to reevaluate re and, and go from there. Now you mentioned all those different locations. You know, you said you're in uh, Washington right now for, you know, in Oregon. And then you talked about Germany and Tokyo with the Olympics. Do you like the traveling or are you not a big fan of it? I, it's, it's definitely a part of the job. Um, I do love it. I love having a, about this time, I am getting a little bit homesick, homesick from my friends, from my family, but it is, it's, it's a part of it. Um, this is the biggest part of like a lot of these Olympic sports. Um, my roommates back, back home are all swimmers and they're exactly on this, on the same thing. Like they're traveling all the time. I'm traveling all the time. You know, we're, we're paying rent for basically an empty storage house right now, but, um, but no, I mean, it, it's part of the job. And I left at the beginning of June to go to Greece to kind of get settled and do a couple competitions there before heading here. And then I'll go back to Greece and, and travel a little bit more. But luckily for me, the season is mostly just in the summer. So I'll travel mostly from June to August or May or May through September, something like this. Um, and I'm fine with it. Um, once the off season hits, it's a lot more chill for me and I get to just kind of unwind and be in one place. Um, but that is the pretty amazing thing that like international track has brought me. Like I'm, I complain sometimes a little bit about the training or being homesick, but I'm given opportunities that, that people pay tons and tons of money, um, to do. I, I've been able to travel across the world all because I, you know, throw something, you know, it's taken me to Qatar, it's taking, taking me to Tokyo, it's taking me to Amsterdam and, and, and everywhere in between. So no, it's, an, it's an incredible experience and opportunity that track and field has, has provided to me, um, provided for me. Um, so no, it's, it's, it's part of the job and you get, to, you get to experience all these different cultures while you're doing it. So no, it's, it's incredible. Now, do you have a favorite place that you've traveled to over the years? I have loved in 2016 it was my first senior European championships and we went to Amsterdam and I really loved Amsterdam it's a really cool city and I got to spend actually a couple days there afterwards just to enjoy the town um and I would definitely want to go back there um I, I that that has to be one of my favorites um but there are a lot of places I still haven't gone. Sometimes you're in a place like I've had a competition in France, but basically all we went to was the hotel and then to the track. So I can't really say I experienced France too much. Um, but I, I love Amsterdam probably the most. And the place I'd love to have a competition next or like to travel and go to would be Italy for sure. I would absolutely love that. But, um, but yeah, we've been to some some places you wouldn't really normally travel to like in Bulgaria, uh, Romania, we were just at, uh, Serbia I've been to, um, but yeah, it takes you to a lot of places you never would really think to travel. And they're, they're these really beautiful historic, um, little, uh, countries that, that have a lot, of, lot, lot to offer. Yeah. Now, you know, as a professional, you've got you know, sponsors, endorsements, stuff like that. 
what is it like dealing with, you know, different brands and how is that, I guess, changed your life from being a collegiate athlete where it's just the sport to, yeah. Hey, I've got this brand or this, you know, deal. What is that like? Yeah. Um, I, you know, throwing is track and field is generally smaller. And then within that throwing is its own little niche. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sponsored by any big shoe brand, but what I have come to find is an incredible support system where sponsorships come from, like, I, you know, a massage therapist coming from like a chiropractic therapy coming from a, you know, a, a smaller clothing brand who wants to support me and understands my, my goals and what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and helps give me opportunities in that way. So that's kind of the, the route I've gone rather than trying to chase this. Uh, you know, if, if, a, if a shoe company like Nike isn't going to sponsor me, I'm not, like, I, I'm not going to push so incredibly hard to, to make that happen until, you know, if I throw far enough one day and that, that comes to me great, but um, I've connected way more with the people behind um, the people who want to help athletes like myself were a little bit of a smaller sport. And I've, I've met some incredible people who, who are willing, who love the sport and want to sponsor and want to help. Um, and yeah, definitely coming away from college, there is this big expectation to have this personal brand, like this personal branding push. Um, and even now with NIL, I can't imagine some people, you know, it, it is really great in some areas and some, some others. I, I feel like it's a big pressure for student athletes and it kind of maybe takes away from what they're actually trying to do. Um, so I, I hope that they have a great balancing system in place. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of put it this way. Now that I'm a professional athlete, um, a lot of college athletes have it better. Uh, and maybe it's a little bit more professional when you're in school than when you're out. And so for any college athletes that, that are listening, I would say take advantage of all the resources now, because when you are in an individual sport and being a professional, you're kind of just, just thrown out there and, and said, Hey, you got to figure it out now, you know, unless you're in the top 1% of a sprinter, you know, things are taken care of for you. But for a lot of us, um, even, you know, the top 5% in the world throwers are, are kind of navigating things on their own. But um, yeah, with, with sponsorships, I just, the biggest support, the best thing you can do for yourself professionally is surround yourself with a great support group and they'll help bring you the good spot, you know, people that they trust for some sponsorships or some helps uh, for some help um, in, in that way. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not great at my uh, personal branding. I'd say, I don't know, <laughs> not too much. Now, pre-competition, is there any like pre-throw routines that you go through or any, like, I know some athletes are superstitious so they have to do something or they have to be wearing something yeah. or even something like, you know, just, music that you always listen to is there any of that for you throughout your career yeah I used to be very very superstitious like when I was in high school I was like I have to eat the same thing the day before I have to wear the same whatever it was a headband or socks like socks something like that um but basically the more and more you compete and the more and more traveling has to do with it you're going to be thrown off of your schedule and now you you can either take those soup. Like I, I, I've come to find that supersti superstitions can be restrictive. Um, if I wasn't able to get a hold of the same food the night before, you know, what am I going to do? 
Am I going to freak out about it? Or am I going to find an alternative and just be able to go with the flow? Um, a big shift in my training was like, if I like, you're going to have to be able to go with the flow to be able to perform on the go and to be able to perform under less than 100% ideal circumstances. Um, so that's, that's kind of been my thing. I used to be very superstitious, have like, you know, my music in place. I have exactly the same thing, you know, X, Y, Z, but the more I've traveled, um, the more you kind of are thrown off your game and, you know, you might show up and not be able to lift the day before a, a competition. Maybe that's been your routine the whole year, or you might not be able to have access to a specific brand of protein bar. Cause you're in a completely different country and they don't have it. So um, you, you just have to get better at performing no matter the circumstance. Now, when it comes to music, I do have like a little bit more of a like preemie type of thing. Um, but even that for track, we're not allowed to listen to music when we get into certain areas of the competition. So I try not to rely on anything too, too much besides caffeine. I definitely, <laughs> that no matter what you, you will be able to find. Um, so as long as I'm like caffeinated, feeling good. Um, yeah, I try to be as super, as like not superstitious as possible um, because I think that you restrict yourself a little bit. And, you know, when you get to the highest point of the game, you're going to have to be able to be on no matter the time of day, no matter when, no matter where. Um, yeah. Whether it's someone you look up to in the throwing community or just somebody in life in general, who are some of your role models? That is a tough, I've, I've never been the person to like hold so many idols. Um, like I've, one moment. Um, I've, I've never been someone to like have tons of posters on my walls of like heroes or, or anything like that. Um, I, I definitely would say, Sorry, one moment. Um, I definitely would say my brothers, as cheesy as that sounds. Um, I grew up with two brothers. Um, I watched them navigate the track and field world through high school, through collegiate. Um, and it all started with me wanting to be on the record board at the high school, just like they were. Um, and I learned a lot of through like their work ethic through them. Um, so I, as cheesy as that sounds, maybe I would say definitely them. And then I had a really good, uh, high school coach, um, whose wife was the American record holder in the shot put. And, uh, I would say that's, she's where I first learned really about like elite athletics and how to conduct myself and kind of introduced me to the world of throwing and elite throwing and really thought that I could, you know, I always knew I had the passion and the drive and probably the athleticism to be professional in something, but um, she really, they really opened the doors to realizing my potential and kind of channeling it. I know you probably don't have a lot of free time. You know, you talked about traveling and competing and practice and everything. So I'm sure there's not much of that there. But, you know, you talked about the off season and when you're back with your friends and family. 
Yeah. What do you like to do? What are some, I guess you could say hobbies that you have? Um, I, yes, don't have a lot. <laughs> um, so what I do actually for some of my work, my part-time work is like photography and videography. I did it for the university. And um, I would say like that is a definitely a passion of mine. It's a little bit of a hobby turned actual, um, like, I think it's a great thing to actually make some type of money from a hobby. Um, so it's definitely a hobby of mine that I actually can make money from and, and really enjoy doing. Um, but I would say like in the off season, I just enjoy a lot of downtime with my friends. Um, in Knoxville, I, I am far away from my family. Um, so I, I've been lucky enough to meet some of you know the best friends uh, and definitely family away from family. So my off season definitely just is a lot of times with them, like going to the lake, um, doing all that kind of stuff, just just downtime. I guess that's the biggest thing too. Uh, when I'm not training, I'd rather just be doing nothing. So uh, just good quality time with people, regardless of what, what we're doing. You know, I don't know if I can say this too much, but whether it's like going to just different breweries and stuff, like. I do drink, <laughs> but um, yeah, like, like that, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the out, outdoors, but you know, I'm not like a crazy hiker because oftentimes I'm just too tired to do that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I grew up on the beach and lucky enough in Knoxville has water nearby. So anything to do with the water, basically. I got one last question here for you whether it's a collegiate thrower, a high school thrower, just an athlete in general, what advice would you provide to them to help them get to that next level or you know, achieve some of the stuff that you've been able to achieve in your career? Um, definitely for high school, I would say if, you, if this is a passion of yours, if it's something you wanna do, there is a, a place at a college, if you're willing to go wherever, there is a spot for you. And if you wanna be a part of any division, there's 100% somewhere for you to go. If this is something you wanna do at the next level and have that collegiate experience. So many times do I see you know, high school kids not really have a, a path or an avenue to go to, um, but it just takes you know, DMing different coaches or filling out questionnaires. And if you, you know, don't care where you're going, if it's an NAIA, if it's a D2, if it's a small D1, there is a place for you to continue on to the next level. Um, too often I see people quit too soon that, that could really make a, make a successful collegiate career out of it. Um, and if I'm talking to collegiate throwers, I would just want to stress the fact that it goes by so quickly. And um, I had a lot of high school success and I, I took that into anxious, like anxious, uh, competition and I, and I wasted so much time in my collegiate career being stressed and anxious and having anxiety over my competitions and it you know I, I wish that I had you know got over myself so much quicker than I did but um for for the collegiate athletes like you know just take advantage of the time you have because it all goes so incredibly quickly um and before you know it you'll you'll realize that you you know might have you know wasted the first two years on stuff that wasn't even relevant but to take advantage of everything you can from the collegiate system because there's nothing like it in the world um it's set up for you to compete at the highest level 
you know, among, on a team, travel across the country, you know, create these great relationships and compete at, at a super high level. Um, and it'll probably be some of the most, most fun you have. So just, just remember that, embrace it and, and yeah, enjoy it while you're in it. All right. Well, like I said, that was the last question I have for you. So once again, you know, thanks for taking some time out of your day and getting to tell us your story and how you've gotten to where you are. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I know you mentioned that you compete here shortly, you know, in the next coming day. So good luck with everything. I'll make sure to keep updated and see how you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. With that being said, for Double FM Sports, my name is Jeremy Mizrak, and I am signing off.